We are fortunate to have Andres Gutierrez here in the studio with us today. Andres is the CEO of Tech Easy Solutions Incorporated. He has 30 years of experience in IT and has worked with companies from Silicon Valley startups to Fortune 50 enterprises in delivering innovative technology solutions. He served on numerous leadership roles, most recently as a CIO of Family Health Centers in San Diego, one of the largest community health centers in the nation. Andres, thank you for being with us today. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. You are jumping into the world of SDOH, or what others hear as the social determinants of health. It's become one of the newer buzzwords in the industry. And yet your mission is to be able to find ways to invest and operationalize it into your culture, into our cultures in IT. What is the approach you're recommending in integrating SDOH across the technologies used in the healthcare environment? So one of the things I've been looking at is how much data we actually collect. For an FQHC like Family Health Centers of San Diego, much of that data is already collected. It really comes down to how you use it and analyze it. So uh, I think what I was looking at when I was looking at SDOH was uh, how it's been defined by the industry and uh, what part as a clinical uh, health center uh, actually controls of SDOH. Uh, because most of the uh, information coming in for SDOH is external. So if you're, uh, I'm in the mind of, uh, uh, if I look at it from a development standpoint, I like to uh, develop what I control. And with SDOH, uh, let's say 80% of it is not in my control. So it's really one of uh, data analytics, external data, and incorporating that into your workflow uh, in the data that you control. So that's uh, the, the big challenge. The, uh, the reliability of the data collection process is another thing I'm looking at uh, because generally when you are collecting data, it's uh, done by uh, your patient service representative, uh, a medical assistant or a, uh, a nursing staff, and your provider themselves. So you have to be careful on on what kind of data you're collecting and, and uh, ensure its reliability and more importantly, ensure its integrity uh, because you're going to be using it uh, as uh, part of your outcome measures and, and hopefully all your outcomes are exceptional. So you mentioned that bringing in all of the data and having it in a standardized format. So it's a bit of a two-part question. It's number one, how do you make sure that what you bring in gets normalized and standardized and can be used into methodologies that can produce the types of either reports or analytics that you need, but then also creating that in a methodology that presents to the end user in a way that is viable. And that's the, uh, yeah, that's the crux of the issue because of the, I think people talk about standardization, but when you look at SDOH, there's a lot of localization in your population. Uh, so, for example, look at uh, Flint, Michigan, uh, the lead issue with the water and uh, what that does for your pediatricians. Uh, you know, I'm saying San Diego will be different. And in fact, every zip code in San Diego has a little difference, uh, given the way the communities are built in the San Diego County area. So you have to look at what is it that you want to standardize, but you have to also look at and know your population. And uh, that probably will introduce uh, factors in your, it, it's hard to standardize, but you have to add that local level localization into your data uh, so that you can actually address the issues in your uh, population. So in a border community, uh, there are a lot of different things that uh, you would look at versus what you would do in the Midwest. 
So, uh, and that standardization is going to be really driven uh, when you start looking at Medicare or Medicaid and what the state is going to have as its standard and how they're going to look at risk. Uh, because that's another external data point that you need to look at. And I don't think the state of California has yet uh, got their arms around what that risk assessment is going to be. When you think about the ability to bring data into the organization in a timely manner, quite often some of these external sources are anything but timely in their delivery of the information. How do you recommend making then timely decisions for the patient with data that may be slightly outdated? And that, the timing of the data and the, uh, and it's also I consider to be living data because as the patient changes, so does their data change. Uh, in a clinical environment, you have control of the data you collect and the, you're dependent on the patient to update their information. So the data collection processes are, are provided by the uh, patient. All the external data uh, that you require for SDOH, let me put it this way, for example, uh, the zip code, the housing situations, uh, whether they live in a food desert or not, because some of our neighborhoods are food deserts, uh, those are all important aspects for SDOH that we have to, I will call it curate. We have to look at the data and determine how to bring it into our systems so that we can actually do the uh, analytics and when I start thinking of the provider in this whole situation, right now providers are overwhelmed just by the fact of using EHR and uh, then amount of data that's presented to them every day. Uh, so uh, it's got to be done in a way that they can actually look at a profile or a risk score uh, to be useful for them uh, rather than trying to look at uh, reams of data. Do you find that SDOH is being driven more by the organizations that are providing care or more from the pressures coming from either regulatory or compliance measures? You know, I think it's uh, both. Uh, there are organizations like Family Health Centers of San Diego that want to take on uh, the SDOH. And it's uh, you're looking at the writing on the wall, right, as the fee-for-service uh, model gets updated and you move to alternative uh, payment or value-based pay based on outcomes, uh, you have to start looking at making an investment in SDOH and figuring out how you want to do that. So it's always better to uh, establish uh, your baseline and your rules uh, before somebody else puts an overlay on it. Uh, that way you have uh, an uh, opportunity uh, to provide influence on what that uh, future uh, way of scoring will be. Uh, so it's it's just like uh, anything else that you do with the uh, regulatory or compliance bodies. You need to influence the outcome that you want rather than them having uh, pushed that down to you. So many of the factors that go into having a program that is going to work well include things that typically are outside the scope or the reach of of a facility or a medical group, things like housing and food security, transportation, income security, uh, early childhood, education and development, those factors that are all truly social factors within a community. How do you see health centers and, and healthcare companies partnering with these different areas to really make an impact in society? 
So that's actually a, something I've been uh, working on. Uh, Family Health Centers of San Diego has received a contract for uh, creating a navigation center for the homeless patients of San Diego County. And a lot of that is uh, uh, a lot that is also captured in SDOH. And so how do you measure it? How do you get a curated list of partners uh, so that you can make the referrals? More importantly, uh, when you do make those referrals, uh, is the referred to agency going to take the action that you need? And the more challenging part of that is if they take the action, will you get the result? Uh, because that is going to feed right into your outcome. Uh, otherwise, you'll have a lot of, of uh, referrals uh, that are incomplete and you will never know the outcome. And if you're looking at the whole uh, health of the individual or person with SDOH, you need to know what the outcome is from that referral. So I think uh, as an agency, you have to look closely at your community, uh, look at the partners uh, that, uh, I, I guess I'll call it curate a list of partners, uh, that will actually uh, provide you the, uh, I'll call it the return data back that you require. Because I, I know in, uh, in our day-to-day -day practice, uh, we may refer something and nothing ever comes back. So you have to have a lot of uh, processes in place to do the follow-up and uh, eventually you either uh, you look at it as lost to follow-up or you'll look at it as it was completed and then you have to reach out and get the data that you need in order to ensure that uh, that you can complete the cycle of care. And it's interesting, too, when you think about the whole cycle of care, we know that the health behaviors, the things that we can affect, whether it's tobacco use, diet, exercise, et cetera, that's only about 30% of the picture. We know that the social and economic factors are the, are the biggest piece at around the 40 percentile. Do you believe that the distribution of responsibility is equally shared at this point, or are there still those that have recognized it first carrying the heavier burden? I think those who have recognized it first are, are actually carrying the uh, heavier burden, but I would actually look at it as proof of concept. So uh, when David Chase came up with the uh, uh, ecosystem of, uh, of uh, health outcomes and uh, allocated the, uh, the, I guess, the weights, it's all about weighting, is uh, how do you influence outcomes uh, when you're only 20% of the equation, right? And uh, the uh, input from the patient, you're relying on the patient to provide you that information. Uh, but is that always reliable? I always look at it when somebody comes in for a visit in the healthcare environment. Uh, what is the reason for the visit and uh, the chief complaint? And does the provider have time to address all the other things? For an FQHC, given that the way they've been uh, developed uh, with uh, grants and federal programs, et cetera, uh, all the grantors or the programs are looking to collect a lot of information about uh, the patient seeing. Uh, so it is very rich as far as data. Uh, how you use that data in affecting outcomes is, is critical. And right now, I think the external drivers are, are I, I call the typical uh, uniform data services, UDS or HEDIS, uh, or specific programs that have uh, you receive grants for, like uh, the LED program for children. Uh, so you're looking at specific uh, interventions and outcomes for those programs. Uh, but I think if you're going to overlay SDOH, you need to look a little bit further. 
Yeah, because some of the data frameworks that have been proposed allow you to capture either in primary care or inside of an ED visit the different uh, domains in in the health record. You can say like there is a scarcity to food. There is a concern with income and where these individuals may live. But the framework hasn't necessarily included how the data might be used. So why would a health center or a health system start to make the investment in the SDOH focus versus maybe historically where they've had a greater population health focus? Uh, you know, I think both of them are are similar. I think SDOH is really trying to get to the crux of population management. I think when people look at population management, they look they look at outcomes. And from a clinical standpoint, those outcomes are uh, cervical cancer screening, uh, you know, the uh, mammograms, uh, are they uh, given in the periodicity that they are required, uh, or do they have all their vaccines? It, it's all about care, right? And, uh, and it's all about uh, taking care of uh, chronic conditions and the illness. Uh, and so I think a lot of, of uh, what I hear is the transformation of the healthcare model to one of not only taking care of the illness, but also ensuring and moving to a wellness organization. And uh, I guess the good news about that is, uh, is an employee, uh, we have a lot of wellness programs that uh, people are starting to realize that they can actually influence the health and outcomes of of their employees. And so I think from a provider standpoint of taking care of your patients, you have to look at it that you can actually influence and uh, uh, ensure positive outcomes for your patients, not just for the illness they have, uh, but for uh, addressing how they uh, live, what they eat, et cetera. I think we do this well for diabetes, but we haven't looked at it all the way across the spectrum of social determinants of health. Yeah, because when you think about, we're pretty fortunate in Southern California, we already run large managed care organizations or a type of healthcare that allows us to really be focused on what are those top areas of risk, opportunity, how do we identify the gaps in care? How do we get our patients in the door while they are well and and do preventable checkups? We're lucky, again, in Southern California, we're very good at this. But you think about the prioritization of making SDOH part of how you do business as an an assessment and readiness that's proven and testable and understanding which patients will benefit the most. Where does an organization start if it's not something that is really in their area of expertise or as a level of maturity within their organization? Yes, and that's a that's a challenge because this is one of those uh, areas of transformation that is driven by uh, cultural change and adoption of how you want to work and how you want to provide care. I think you need to look at it from a holistic standpoint of, number one, of including the providers in this whole process uh, because uh, you know, you can't have administration choose a screen for you if the provider is not going to use it. It's just like when EHR was rolled out, uh, you needed to have the provider involvement so that they could actually uh, be the champions and use EHR in the way it should be used. So uh, I think the, that cultural tra- uh, transformation is going to be a challenge, just like changes for any organization. And then the uh, looking at referrals differently. I mean, when you look at it from a health uh, 
agency standpoint, you're looking at referrals to a specialist, you know, referrals to uh, orthopedic, uh, referrals to a dentist. Uh, in the case of SDH, uh, SDOH, you're looking at it to referrals to community partners. And so I think when you look at the different, I'll call it, uh, pilots that people are trying, like I think the San Diego County is looking at it from a whole health of the person. Uh, Alameda County is building its uh, social HIE. Uh, they're looking at uh, uh, making an HIE connect with community partners, not just wealth health partners. So I think there's a lot of experimentation going on right now. Yeah, there's a danger that a medical approach to these non-medical factors will lead to more healthcare versus more cost-effective and community-based interventions. How do we intervene without medicalizing these SDOH factors? And I see a real challenge with that because what I see uh, people recommending to the different states is that they start uh, signing uh, the uh, ICDs or Z codes uh, to social determinants of health. And I think that's from a data collection standpoint. I don't know if I would ever have a provider do that kind of coding for uh, SDOH uh, because I think that, in a sense, is will clinicize it and uh, then it will make it look like that will go into a claim, uh, although that data is really being used for for it should be used for improving outcomes. So uh, uh, there, I think there there is a, a danger there. Uh, how we mitigate that danger is, I think, on how we as a healthcare agency look at uh, serving our population and then uh, adding a level of what we would do for wellness versus the uh, illness. And we think about the mental health factor in all things that we do in providing care for our communities. And there's been conversation around, it's not just social determinants of health, it's also social determinants of well-being, which essentially is a state of life satisfaction of the individual. What can we do to measure that aspect? Wow. I'm not. I'm certainly not an expert in that uh, area. We've uh, built many solutions for uh, our mental health uh, providers uh, because uh, I think that falls directly on being patient-centric and uh, listening to your patients. And uh, there's a whole area of, of, of removing the stigma associated with mental health. Because I think uh, once that is removed, it just becomes another area of improving your health and improving your outcome. Uh, so I think from uh, from that aspect of of uh, your overall wellness, uh, including the uh, mental health aspects of it and your behavioral health aspects of it, uh, we really have to look at at how do we get patients engaged and how do we ensure patients are responsible uh, for their well-being. Yeah, with so many unknowns about the use of SDOH in clinical care, having data for measurement and evaluation is essential. How does the health center identify the metrics and measurements to assess the impact of these interventions? So I was uh, studying that and looking at what we would do as far as metrics, because number one, you have to establish the metrics and what you want to measure. 
And I think a lot of this is kind of proof of concept. Uh, but where I would recommend you start is you start with the existing outcomes that you're measuring. I know that Family Health Centers of San Diego uh, has, uh, and they're measuring actively uh, over 120 different outcomes uh, because when you think about the number of patients seen and you start slicing and dicing it by age, demographics, and gender, there's going to be a whole lot of outcomes that you can measure. Uh, so uh, the uh, metrics, I think, is you start with what you have, and then when you look at what you have, look at that as your baseline, and then when you start thinking about interventions, then start introducing the uh, SDOH factors into it to see if that could be improved. Because some of the typical in interventions are, you know, uh, recalls, uh, contact, uh, reach out and uh, uh, encourage the patient to do a procedure, uh, do a lab test, uh, you know, do a uh, user uh, screening tools. Uh, but I think uh, when you look at the it from an SDOH factor is, for example, uh, there's a lot of outcomes for diabetes. Uh, but now you can start overlaying the education, you can start overlaying the nutrition, uh, you can look at uh, what partners are out there uh, that are doing things for a diabetic. So I think the referrals will look a little different, uh, order sets may look a little different, and then the patient education will look a little bit different. And then even your uh, after-visit summary will be different because it's not going to have referrals to specialists. It may have referrals to community partners or a nutritionist or uh, somebody, some other, some other uh, service provider that is a specialist in that area, but not happens to be doesn't happen to be clinical. Yeah, it's how do we build multi-sector partnerships? I mean, what partnerships should be built to address the SDOH for individuals and for communities? So again, you're going to have to look at the uh, localization, uh, what's available in your area, uh, because I don't think uh, they, um, that a patient will travel too far uh, to, uh, to uh, undertake wellness. Uh, so it has to be convenient and uh, local uh, based on their zip code and where they live. Uh, it's not like you're, you need a specialist for this and there's only one in the world that does it. Uh, these are factors that are available in every community. It's just that people don't know where and, and how uh, to source them themselves. Uh, so I think uh, if we look at outreach, we look at what we normally do for uh, case management, is that we can start uh, overlaying a layer of other community partners and start curating that list of partners that do effectively span the continuum of, of the social determinants of health. What does the conversation look like between a patient and provider if the patient suddenly has any concerns about how the data is being used? And for example, they say, you know, how much sugar do you eat? How many steps do you get? How many cigarettes do you smoke? I mean, some of the things we, we plug in, we wear on our bodies and we automatically are uploading data like steps and exercise somewhere. But quite often the person who is grabbing the extra drink or grabbing the extra ice cream cone or having an extra side of fries isn't going to add those things to their profile, especially if they know that while the healthcare provider may be using that data to educate them on a healthier lifestyle, 
and may also at some point get pushed to the payer who says, if you're going to do these things, we're not going to cover these scenarios. What is the risk in it turning into something that actually is, could be detrimental to the patient by being honest? Well, that's a, uh, that's a kind of a big brother question with the payer being big brother. The, um, one of the things that uh, you have to look at it from an electronic health record is those are confidential. And right now, from, a, uh, from the payer standpoint, uh, they haven't shown too much interest in the additional data or information uh, because they're still driven by things like HEDIS. Now, that may change in the future, uh, but I think those are things that are, that are going to be captured in the whole area of consent and uh, privacy and, you know, everything you see going on with uh, in Washington about the big tech firms. I think eventually it'll be driven down to what we have to deal with with HIPAA and high tech. So, uh, uh, and how do we protect that information about a patient? and uh, leave that confidential visit between the patient and provider as being uh, identified between those two and the other information being de-identified and used for the specific purpose of improving outcomes for the entire population. Yeah, it becomes a tricky equation when the social information is something that we give away readily for free, and yet our medical information is something that we consider to be highly protected And here we are trying to bring the two together. Yes, and I think uh, when uh, I see HIPAA and high tech now because it hasn't been really updated, you know, the last update wasn't, you know, it was created in 1996 before uh, EHR was uh, fully deployed. I think we're like almost saturated with EHR. Uh, Everything is going electronic. And then uh, people are... Uh, adopting monitors using their iPhones or Android devices to uh, check their their pulse. They're uh, doing EKGs as well. Uh, so there's a lot of information available. So I think it's going to be it's time to revisit HIPAA and revisit High Tech Act and uh, bring it up and modernize it uh, based on the data and information that's being collected today. And then I think a lot more is going to be uh, put on the shoulders of the patient to actually start looking at the data about themselves and to own it. And too often, and I want to close with this question, is that when we talk about population health and the measurements, it often centers on leading causes of death and not necessarily on well-being or the leading causes of life things such as purpose, connection, et cetera. How do we start to build models where we can focus on what is helping our patients live longer versus what is necessarily killing them? We're going to have to uh, change the way we communicate and uh, change the way, I mean, I hear a lot about vulnerable populations, disparity. You know, when I was growing up in, I'll call it the poor side of town, I never realized I was in the poor side of town. So uh, nobody talked to me that way. Uh, So, uh, uh, and I think uh, when I look at the, uh, my neighbors and and the people that live in my neighborhood, I don't think anybody talks to them in in that that fashion. 
so I think we have to uh, come up with a, a new way to communicate and talk about uh, wellness, uh, to talk about uh, lifestyle, uh, talk about uh, the, the importance of uh, each patient uh, taking control uh, of their health. And I think that uh, people are becoming more educated and also, I'll call it, not so educated because some people take everything that's on the internet as truth. And so, particularly when they go to WebMD, et cetera, and so uh, you kind of end up with a lot of hypochondriacs. But I mean, I think we need to do a little bit uh, better job as providers and letting them know uh, how to really use that information and uh, provide more education on what the factors they have in their own ability to control and uh, start making the right choices. I think it's going to be a combination of what the, well, I guess city governments, uh, state governments, uh, federal governments are doing as far as uh, compliance and uh, controlling, uh, for example, sugared beverages, uh, you know, uh, uh, different things with diet, uh, cafeteria food, et cetera, in the schools. Uh, so I, I think we need to do a whole lot more education on what it, it takes to be a, uh, I'll call it an individual and a person uh, living in this society, and that uh, it should not be driven by their healthcare provider. Andres Gutierrez, CEO of Tech Easy Solutions Incorporated, thank you for sharing with us how we can focus on starting with what is right with patients, families, and communities, and how we can build upon those strengths using awareness of the social determinants of health. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the SoCal Hymns podcast series. Special thanks to Callister Harmon, our audio and mixing engineer, for helping us produce our podcast series. Thank you.